Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we have got a go one. I'm really looking forward to this episode with Emily Kane Miller, the founder and CEO of ethicsgiving.com. Emily, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Emily, I just, you know, here you are today on this podcast. You're now on the surface. People can see you. They see the business. They see what's going on. But I want to go underneath that surface. I want to go underneath the iceberg today. Tell me about a time when you faced some adversity in your life, but that maybe spawned the origin of this company. What resonates with you when I say that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to take you back to September of 2019. I'm pregnant with baby number two, about four months pregnant at that point. And I had this crossroads. And the question was, you know, I had this amazing job. I was in-house leading a really incredible, disruptive, phenomenal um, social impact team at a a really well-regarded organization doing work I loved um, and could have stayed on that path uh, or start my own thing. Um, And obviously, you know, there can be seminal moments in your life. I think having a baby for a lot of us is one of those things where you have, you know, two paths. Um, I've never considered myself an entrepreneur. I hadn't walked into my career thinking that I would hang my own shingle. And I had this moment where I felt like this was the opportunity for three reasons. Number one, 
our family was about to change and I needed my calendar to feel a little different than it had felt the previous, you know, decade and, and change. Um, number two, I had learned a tremendous amount and I was doing work that we now sort of think of as a normal model for companies, which is this philanthropy plus model. So how can we not just give back with our dollars, but give back with how we are as a business, what we do strategically as we think about employee engagement, supply chain. Um, and I became a huge evangelist for this work. And I realized there were more and more leaders that were looking for that kind of resource. And I didn't feel like there was a firm like ours that offered what we call back of house social impact. So we do the work of the work, not the storytelling of the work. Um, so I, you know, I felt like I gained this expertise. Um, and then number three, I realized that I was hungry for my next challenge. I think all of us get to these points in our career where our days start to feel like we've, we're climbing the same mountains we've been climbing. Um, and I was ready for my next mountain. So that was, that was sort of my moment. I don't know if it's adversity, but you know, my moment of friction where I had two paths in the woods and I, I took the one less traveled, uh, and I've never looked back. I love that. And, and tell me about a few of those early lessons that you've learned from making this new shift. It's a whole new environment. It's a whole new world. Um, what are some of those key lessons or experiences you could share with our audience that are core factors to the growth you've experienced today? Yeah. So, you know, it's, when I started the business, it didn't have a name. It was just, you know, Emily Kane Miller, uh, do good professional of the world. Um, and, you know, I was just sort of, I had some clients. Um, and one of the lessons that I learned early on was that I needed to really vet my clients uh, at a deeper level than I had previously, you know, understood. When I say we do social impact, when I say we do sort of deep engagement work, our KPIs are not product specific. So if you sell more widgets, that's amazing. But the work that we do is not inherently triggering the widget being sold. It's part of like the halo effect of that widget being sold. Our KPIs are related to the community value, the impact, the environmental benefit, the you know, community economic development, sort of whatever is the, the impact related goal. And early on, I, I had signed up a client who was lovely, um, but we were three months into a project and they walked in and they said, hey, like, this is amazing. We're helping people in X, Y, and Z category. The impact work has never been more meaningful, but we haven't sold more widgets in the last three months. So like, what have you done for me lately, essentially? And I said like, oh, we are misaligned. Like that, you know, totally appreciate that that's what you're looking for. Like, that's not what I'm, what I'm here for. That's not what we're built to do. Um, and that's the day that I named the company Ethos Giving. So I wanted the, the very brand to embody this idea that we're here to be serious about the work. There is an ethical underpinning to the way that we think about how we build, what we do, what our product is, what we're putting in the world. And if that's not what you're looking for, no problem, but we're, we're probably not the firm for you. Um, and we, you know, in a professional way, kind of buttoned up that arrangement. Um, but that was a huge lesson early on. Um, and I would say the next lesson, and, you know, I'll wrap with this one is um, as a generalist, right? Like I, I know a lot about a lot, but there are things that require specific expertise that we need to bring in. Um, and, you know, when I started, I was a solo practitioner and now we have five people on the team, but we're never gonna know everything. We're never gonna have the internal expertise, especially in impact. You know, somebody wants to do sustainability work in Northern Canada, like that's, that's never gonna be something we know about. Um, and so being able to really build the Rolodex of phone of friends 
having an infinite mindset, we often partner with people who are technically like competitors in our field um, because they have something that they can bring to the table that we can't. Um, and really building trusted relationships with other vendors, other partners is another thing that um, I needed to learn to do well. And what I now really pride our firm on, you know, almost five years into the work. And Emily, it seems like, you know, when you started, you know, you were probably building your Rolodex, kind of had your generalization, but you were really bringing in business. And of course you were because you're the founder. How do you describe your role now as a CEO who is responsible for, you know, others on your team? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say BD is still definitely on my uh, job description. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly networking. We're going to community events, to um, trade shows and that sort of thing. But the place that I've really evolved and a, a place that I really enjoy spending time as a business leader, um, you know, I hate the term thought leadership because I think it's pretty, you know, silly and self-aggrandizing. Um, but one of the reasons that I founded the firm was that I felt like our sector, the social impact ecosystem, CSR, philanthropy, ESG, whatever you want to call it, um, is often not elevated to the level that we need it to be at for it to really create the benefit that society is calling for. Like so much brokenness around us everywhere, right? Um, and if we're gonna have businesses and philanthropists play their part, it has to be done at an A-game level. And so one of the things that I enjoy doing now in my role as a business leader is highlighting when we think our clients are doing great work, how it happened, why it happened, how we did our homework, how other people can do it too. Um, and, you know, spending time providing analysis for social impact work that's happening out in the ecosystem that we may or may not be connected to, giving people kudos when I feel like there's amazing things happening, um, you know, sharing critical feedback when I feel like there's something that's out there in the world that's just like not helping everybody level up social impact or maybe creating skepticism around social impact because there's greenwashing or goodwashing and being a, a voice that's really consistent and authentic in calling it like we see it. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that I definitely have evolved into so far. I love that. And one of our, like my coworkers left me a beautiful voice note the other night, which just reminded me of what you just said. He said, you know, our work is just trying to fill, you know, the hole that's in society, you know, and we need to replenish and restore humanity. And that really resonated with me. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about very similar things. What do you think, in your eyes, I guess, is the ethos that we all share as human beings? Yeah, I think people who are hungry to do this kind of work, you know, whatever your umbrella, I think you could do this in the nonprofit ecosystem. I think you can obviously, as we are examples, do this in the the, the business ecosystem and certainly in government. Um, you want to leave it better than you found it. And we only have so many hours in our lives, Right. Um, and if there's a way in your professional capacity to help leave it better than you found it, that there's a calling to do that. Uh, I think that's the common denominator between, you know, our types of people. And I think what's particularly interesting, if you, you know, I joke, I went, I'm a lawyer. I joke when I went to law school, I couldn't spell philanthropy. Like it wasn't in my consciousness that, that this was something that people did as a job um, or CSR for that matter. I couldn't spell that either. Um, there's good being done in different corners of various sectors that have never been done before. Like if you think about making a difference environmentally, it may be that you can have a business role and make a much bigger difference on an environmental matter that matters to you very locally in your, you know, your state 
um, working for that company than you could working for government or than you could working for nonprofit. And I think that's pretty new. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's this generation that's really taking on those mantles, especially in the corporate sector. And I feel like there's also like not to be, you know, doom and gloom, there's a much stronger impetus than there was for our parents. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the friction and the deterioration of so many different things, whether those be environmental or, you know, like looking at the social sector or looking at, you know, I'm here in Los Angeles, the homeless count is up to almost hundred K here. Um, it was less than 40,000 homeless people and housed people before COVID. So, I mean, you're constantly living in a world where you're reminded that there's brokenness. Um, and I think some of us have a soul that's called to be part of fixing that. I love that. And, and, you know, it's, it's true, right? Because we just get so fixated on work on the day to day. I mean, just getting by is hard enough, but what you miss are the things around you that really unconsciously impact the world, impact you, impact your community, impact your generation. So on the, the premises of leaving the world far better than you found it, um, how do I as a company create a legacy worth leaving? It's a great question. So it has to start with authenticity. Um, and we spend a lot of time helping folks kind of unravel that question. But I would say what it boils down to is who are you as a business? Where do you sit? What do you make? What do you sell? What do you build? Um, and then how can you look at those factors and figure out how to be of service vis-a-vis those factors? And I'm a capitalist. I get that people need to make money. You're not a for-profit that's in business to make the world a better place necessarily. But every single client that we've ever sat down with is able to answer those questions. Like, what can we do to be of value for society, given who we are, where we sit, what we make? Then the next thing we do is ask the question, what is of that list? And there's usually dozens of things on it. What does society need me to get done that I'm uniquely positioned to do as a business? Um, because there's other, there's things on that list that you're not the best at, that you're not uniquely situated to do that work. Um, and then we overlay that and that Venn diagram of what you're awesome at and what society needs you to do ends up being your punch list. And if you can effectively run a strategy that not one off, not for a quarter, but year in, year out for the entirety of the life of that business, you can be, you know, punching that punch list every day, every quarter, every year, and playing almost the same playbook. That to me is a legacy worth leaving. When you see organizations do nice things once in a while, they throw a dart, they make some donations, they have their employees vote on something that they should do that year. You end up with this real scattershot ecosystem that did some nice work, but like didn't ladder to legacy. If you want to ladder to legacy, it needs to be strategic. And it's really that overlay. Um, who are you and what do we need you to be? Um, and delivering on that over and over and over. That is the work of this work that I think really matters um, and creates meaningful change and, and, and separates the wheat from the shaft as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, I like your Venn diagram example, you know, all about the Venn diagram, of course, and shared values, right? And it's um it's important to listen to the market you know and 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 ask what the market needs um where do you find businesses uh struggle in this where do you find uh the leaders of the organizations when do they become the bottleneck like in your experience where where are some of the obstacles they run into yeah so you know again kind of going back to that pnl example when people are really tied on like my kpi is that this work is shoehorned in to sell more widgets or to help me grow, you know, 
my landscape or whatever it is. Um, that work is never as authentic as, as the work that I think is the best work. And ultimately it doesn't serve the organization's social impact model because you're looking at the wrong ball, right? Like the ball that you need to be looking at is community benefit. We're setting out to do this. Did we achieve this? Did it benefit the people, the earth, the water, you know, whatever, whatever the KPIs are related to that good work. Um, so, you know, one bottleneck is people looking at the wrong KPIs. Um, the, the second thing, and I think this is less true now than it was even three years ago, is having leadership that doesn't buy into this idea that the good work matters. It's kind of like a nice to have. It's like this little like sweet thing that you like tap on the head at the quarterly meeting. Um, and when you don't have leaders that have bought into this, like ultimately it isn't measured, it isn't managed, it isn't staffed well, it isn't funded well. And you can have a really flush foundation that's giving away a lot of money, but I don't think that work is going to be nearly as impactful as the work that is strategically managed just as any other important part of your business. I always say, we talk with a lot of people that are looking for work in this space and like, what are my tips? Um, and I, if you can work for a C-suite leader that has an impact oriented title, you know, chief philanthropy officer, chief impact officer, chief CSR officer, whatever that is, and their exclusive responsibility as a senior leader is creating value for society vis-a-vis -vis the partnerships, the brand, the foundation, et cetera. Um, that's where this work matters. So you need to have someone at the C-suite level that's either really bought in or exclusively in charge of this. Um, and then the last bottleneck I think is, uh, you know, basically like whiplash fatigue. I think if people don't know who they are and what they wanna do strategically, and they're constantly looking at the headlines of the newspaper and being like, here's who we are today. No, no, here's who we are today. That that's a very, um, you know, it's just a very difficult way to run this work. It needs to be fluid. It need, you need to have a flow um, and something, that's happening that's not relevant to your core values, what you do in the world can be really important. And it doesn't mean that, that becomes your social impact work for that quarter. So those are sort of the, the three highlights. I like that. Yeah. Like a North, like North star, you know, if, if you're, a, a, it's like Anthony Robbins always says, you know, if you're like a, a boat and you just take a tiny turn, like over time, you're going to end up miles and miles away from that North star, but you, you need to consistently go toward that that direction to you, Emily, like what makes a good direction? What makes a good mission, a vision for a company? Yeah. So we um, often say it has to pass the duh test, like, like Homer Simpson, like D-U-H, the duh test. Um, and that basically means, and again, going back to that Venn diagram, you've established what you do, what the world needs. Um, and then if you think about your constituents, the people who work for you, the people who buy or trade or purchase, you know, your services and goods, and then just sort of the general population. If what you've established from a mission perspective, somebody looks at and they're like, oh, like, yeah, like that's, that's amazing. Like that makes so much sense for that brand. Um, as employees, we really get into that. It motivates us. It feels core connected to why we're here to do our jobs. Um, as people who buy your product or people who just are sort of like fans of yours or people who know about you in the neighborhood or in the um, the social media landscape, look at that and they're like, oh, like that checks out. That makes sense. Um, that's great. You know, we always go back to healthy food companies because that's where I got my start. When you have those kinds of companies that are giving back in a way that helps grow food access and food justice work for communities that wouldn't otherwise have access, that's a dumb moment. You're like, smart. Like you are helping to grow the pie of people having access to healthy foods. When you have a healthy food company instead, um, you know, that's working on an environmental matter 20,000 miles away that 
you couldn't, even if you spent a lot of time, figure out why they're doing that or why that's their focus. And it turns out it's because it's the CEO's daughter's, you know, nonprofit that she runs that, that, that doesn't hit the duh test, right? And, and you see that happening often, um, that there are these kind of ancillary random things that companies are doing and doubling down on just because they've always done it or just because it's someone's pet project. Um, and I would say those are always you know, the, the least impressive of the work that we see. And the most impressive are the ones that hit that duh test every time and people are like, oh, like smart. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, there's just so many companies that like how you put it, like just pat, pat the person on the head. And, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll mention it in the board meeting. Um, but I think what this really comes down to for those decision makers is just risk. Like how much risk are you willing to take on and how do you look at that risk? Are you willing to invest into your long-term sustainability strategy, your long-term impact as a brand? Um, or do you just want to just focus on the short-term quarterly numbers? Um, What's your experience been uh, in terms of the, the people who do and don't decide to make an investment like that? You know, it's interesting that you say that. I would actually flip it, Kevin, and I would say the people who are truly understanding market risk today would, would value impact because I think they would understand their talent pipeline, potential financing from, you know, from banks and investors, um, you know, the community that, that they're serving, their customers, et cetera, are asking the question like, what are you doing to make the world a better place? What are you doing to be of service? And if you have nothing to say that that actually puts the company's brand um, and, and future at risk in today's environment. But, you know, that's new. I would say that's, that's only true in the last 10 years. So you have leaders that generationally are sitting at a, you know, in a C-suite for 20, 30 years. That's not a muscle that they've built. Um, so I think the, the way that I would describe leaders that really get on board, the people who are, in the latter half of their career, they're, they're active learners, right? Like they're people who are thirsty, they're people who are reading, they're people who are thinking about, you know, what's next on the horizon. Um, they're students of life or, you know, sort of the, the more senior leaders, the, the folks that are in their 60s and 70s leading businesses that are adapting this. Um, and then there are folks that are coming up who are in, you know, founders in their 20s, 30s, C-suite leaders that are in their 30s and 40s, um, who you know, generationally, and there's tons of statistics to back this up, millennials and Gen Zers have this in a more innate place in their um, philosophy. They're bringing their values to bear in um, their work life. And that's kind of where we got at the beginning, which is like, why are there people who are thinking about how they can bring their professional resources to bear in ways that are positive for the world? It's because it's, it's like in them, like they can't not do it. Um, and so I would say those are the two sort of archetypes. Here's an, an interesting, stimulating question for you, Emily. I've really enjoyed this discussion. I'm just like thinking a little bit like long term. Like, do you think in 30 years they'll be called impact companies or sustainable companies or you know eco companies, or do you think it'll just be business? It'll just be business. It's a great question. And sort of if you think about like after World War II, um, as a way to incentivize growth, businesses started offering healthcare. It's the reason that healthcare is modeled the way that it is in the United States and that we don't have a, a more traditional sort of universal healthcare coverage. Nobody, and, and that was like a, a selling point. Like you were sort of a company that provided healthcare and they had like marketing about it and outreach about it. And that was their talent acquisition plan. Um, and if you walked into, you know, if you dropped a 1945 employee into today's world, 
and they wanted to differentiate like which companies were like the bee's knees and giving you healthcare, you'd be like, you're insane. Like everybody does this. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to that. And I wouldn't even say 30 years from now, I would say, you know, 15 plus by the time, you know, my kids are six and four, by the time they're in the workforce, I think this will be like same, same, but different. Um, and at companies, especially companies that are B2C, um, you know, that are, that are consumer facing are, are going to have to just have this be part of smart business, the same way you have to have a great supply chain or you need to have a great marketing department. I love that. Emily, in all of this, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Someone who is constantly learning. I don't know any good leaders that um, stop the work of, of learning, being curious. Um, that's definitely the kind of leader that I try to be and certainly the kind of person who I try to be. And it's been great to connect today and, and learn from you. For Emily Kane Miller, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a constant learner, and always, folks, Peter Rowe. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.